previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Yeah, I didn't get the Directly flu at the same the time because I didn't want that conflict in my body. I'll get the flu shot in October. So I had an 11A appointment. I get there early and I just politely ask if there's any chance, you know, I'm, I know you're busy, but I, I'm here if, if you're going to be able to see me. And eventually she calls out, Kornheiser, are, are you related to Tony? Oh, yeah, he's my dad. I just wanted to thank you for being so accommodating to mom and dad. And, you know, we've been hearing great stories about you. And she goes, do you know he has a podcast? I was like, do I know he has a podcast? (laughs) The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Just as a follow-up to that, this comes from John in Arlington, Virginia. Tony, thanks for the shout-out to Emily at Tenley Town Target CVS. As it happens, she's my niece. And I immediately knew you were talking about her when you told your story about the latest booster you got. She and I and most of the family members were willing to talk about in public Hale from Minnesota. She's a proud doctor of pharmacy grad from the North Dakota State University. Now that she jabbed you, she's probably the second most famous alum here in the D.C. area. You may have heard of the number one guy whose name we no longer mention but rhymes with Larson Fence. Yes, that's Carson Wentz, who completes a lot of passes for a lot of yards and gives you no confidence, right? No confidence whatsoever. Not very interested in first downs. Yeah. You know, you just... And when he's in trouble near the end zone, it's bad. It's bad, Larson Fence. Anyway, to continue with this, also want to say I've been a little for a long time. Love your shows and watch and listen just about every day you're on. I even wrote to you in 2000 to ask for your daughter's hand as I was about to head to Cornell Law School. You read my email on your radio show and I was floored, but I noticed you never had your daughter call. That's okay. I just went to work as a prosecutor at the Department of Justice and two major law firms. Not bad from a kid from a town of 1,908 people on the prairie, but who's counting? That's a lovely email from... John Marston, um, that, your shot is okay. You, yeah, mine's yeah, yeah. Okay. We just would like to see more yeah. more families with kids under five. Yeah, yeah, some shots. It's available. Take it. Available. Take it. it. Is. Um, so, uh, it's a football day. Mondays are always football days, but I, I need to say this: for the second week in a row, the early round of games, which usually feature the worst teams in football were spectacular. Yes. For the second week in a row, the Sunday night game was a total dud. Green Bay was up <clears throat> 24 to 7 at the end of the first half. There was no point in watching that game. The week before the Tampa Bay game, there was no point in watching that game. It was 19 to 3. There was no point. So the Sunday night game, which gets the highest rating in all of television every single week, two bomb duds in a row. But the early window on red zone, there were three teams. And these are not good teams. Well, I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know if they're good teams. Almost every game was really close. Almost every game <clears throat> featured a team coming back from down 10, 12, 14, in some cases 21. And three games. The Jets coming back against Cleveland on the strength of Joe Flacco. I think it was two touchdowns. And a two-point conversion in a minute and a half? Yeah. Something like that. Miami. Everybody says Tua Tanglia Viola is on the clock. He better do it this year because he's not going to get another chance. He had six touchdowns. And Baltimore, a team built on defense, collapsed and lost at home, right? At home. Miami. Yeah, because Miami was at home against New England the first week. Miami 
beat Baltimore at Baltimore, and a lot of us think Baltimore is a potential Super Bowl team. And then later, the Cardinals, they're not going to win this game. Zero they're chance. done <laughs> against Las Vegas. They're done. They have no chance. And Kyler Murray, who Wilbon doesn't like, Kyler Murray, at three or four different occasions, gets into the end zone, either on a touchdown or a two-point conversion, when you think he's going to be tackled by 15 people. And he escapes, and he runs it in, and he holds the ball out, and it crosses the plane, and they win. I wrote down questions early on for Wilbon, early on. Can we get uh, off Miami and Tua yet? Baltimore pounded them. Baltimore was up by 21 when I wrote that question. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just sort of amazing to me. I also said maybe we should get off Russell Wilson, and then Russell Wilson engineered a comeback for Denver. So it tells you you have to wait till the end. Everybody knows I really love to watch the Nats, and I watched some of the Nats yesterday. But when you watch baseball, the only thing that really matters is your team. You live and die with your team. At various points, if your team is good, you think more globally. You think about the playoffs. You think about what might happen and what the matchups might be. But there is no sport like the NFL where you care about games that have nothing, thousands of miles away from you, and you care about these games. The NFL has successfully marketed itself to everybody, not just a local fan base. To everybody, maybe it's because there's the games are once a week and, and they just put everything on. They put every if you watch Red Zone, they put everything on. You know what I mean? Yeah, the same way that every March, every April March, we talk about how baseball becomes part of the you know the rhythm of your night, and, and yeah. you just look at the power of what that Sunday means. We're at the playground, and I'm talking to another dad who's from Montgomery County, and he's asking, "Are you still a fan of WFT?" And I go, "Yeah, I, I don't really want to be, but there's still something about the pull of that Sunday." And then you, you see what's happening with the Red Zone. We watched the, uh, the football team early, and you thought they should be down by, I don't know, 40 points in the first five minutes, except for weird stops and then safeties and all that. But um, you look at the Red Zone, and with the Miami game, uh, Walker is sitting there, and he, he gets drawn to the TV. And then before I know it, he has his hands up, and in real time, he's doing the same celebration that you see Waddle Is that doing. right? And you just go, there's just something... Uh, you know, electric about watching the, the, particularly the red zone, but to watch the colors that are popping on these screens now. The Cardinals game against Las Vegas. Hunter Renfro, a sure-handed and good receiver, fumbled twice. The last two times he got his hands on the ball, he fumbled once recovered by Las Vegas. <clears throat> the second time, scooped up by Arizona for the winning score. It's, you watch these games... And they, they appear to be remarkable. Are there two games tonight or one game tonight? That's two games tonight, yes. It what, how does that work? No, I'm, not sure why, I'm not sure why they're doing that. No, normally they do that at the beginning. You know, they the do first it the week. first week and they make sure yeah. to get a West Coast game. Yeah. These are not even West Coast games. <clears throat> no, it's Titans, Bills, and Vikings, Eagles. They're, they're East Coast games. Yeah. So, I, don't, I mean, they're good games or potentially good games. When does one start? Uh, let's see. They're going to start Bills. an East Coast game at 10. No, Titans Bills at 7.15. Right. And then Vikings Eagles, that's at Philly, 8.30. So what are you supposed to do? <laughs> are they both on ESPN? Uh, one is on ESPN and one is on ABC and ESPN Plus. 
So they're both on ESPN, in Essent- effect. In Ascension, yeah. And they're competing against each other. Yeah. That's <laughs> odd, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and except, nobody asked me. Except it gives, are they still, uh, is this a week that Peyton and Eli are doing it? Oh, I hope so. Oh yeah, yeah. I just I know they they sometimes are able to get the Bob Carpenter treatment, and uh, no, and it just they it gives them more more uh, more content. But you look at the power of that one o'clock window, particularly for the games that you don't expect to be you know as compelling as they are, and this protects it. If you say have a you know you begin to get big separation in what should be a good game like Minnesota Eagles. Very odd. By the way, uh, Chuck Todd is at the moment two and three. He's got Tennessee plus ten. He's got Minnesota plus two. The monkey is off to a great start. He's two and one and four and two overall. Jeff Ma is two and two. He's also got Minnesota over Philadelphia to see if they can get into the winning area. So we will have Michael Wilbon when we return. Later we will have Chuck Culpepper. Uh, we'll talk about football and we got to talk about Northwestern. My God, they lost to Southern Illinois. Yeah, that's that's a tough horrendous. One. That's actually horrendous. We'll have Wilbon when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Michael Granberry, who gives us nothing but winners as the arts and feature writer at the Dallas Morning News, gives us Ellis Paul now. He writes, I first heard Ellis Paul sing his amazing songs 10 years ago when on the 100th anniversary of Woody Guthrie's birth in his hometown of Okama, Oklahoma, Ellis joined forces with, among others, Texas troubadour Jimmy Lefebvre and the great Judy Collins in honoring Woody's memory. Born in Maine, Ellis grew up in a hamlet near the Canadian border before attending Boston College on a track scholarship. Injured during his junior year, he picked up the guitar and launched what is now a nearly 40-year career as a songwriter. By the end of 2014, he had recorded 19 albums and won 14 Boston Music Awards. He's also an author, having published a book of original lyrics, poems, and drawings, and a children's book. Plays almost 200 live shows a year. Ellis Paul. This is called Home. You can go to the end of the show and listen to Ellis in his entirety, and it plays in Michael Wilbon. And we got to start. Wilbon and I talked yesterday, um, and I explained to him that I was just fascinated by the NFL games, but... I didn't even mention Southern Illinois. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. But if you sat by yourself in Pat Ryan Stadium after the Duke game, a D1 school with academics as good as Northwestern, a brother or sister school to Northwestern without question, and a great basketball school, which has had good football seasons, what are you thinking when Southern Illinois beats you? You know, I was thinking when I saw the score, not only was I not in Chicago, I was here in D.C. I, I knew I wasn't going to go to that game. Um, but, you know, it's one of the games you have, you play now with a guarantee, people talk about, yeah. where a school like Southern Illinois gets a half million or more, and they come in and, you, they, you know, they basically pay to get their butts whipped. Yeah. Uh, they take, you know, they don't pay, they, they, they receive a big payday. 
to get their butts with it. And it just in the, early in the game, I, I was checking the score from here in D.C. And I was like, what? What is Southern Illinois? So I was, I was uh, in a foul way. And it was a good thing I wasn't there and couldn't be around and had a lot of things to do here in town where I, I just wasn't going to make myself angry. I didn't even watch. It was on maybe Big Ten 2. For those of us who have that, I have that. But I, not, not even a snap that I watched, Tony, myself. Is this worse than Marshall beating Notre Dame? No, no, no. Because we're not Notre Dame and, and they're not Marshall, no. It's just bad. It's a bad loss, period. And... Um, I, I I had not tuned in. Right. I knew it could be a bad weekend anyway because I knew the Bears were going to get thumped by the Packers. Yeah, that's predictable. So yeah. then you throw you throw in your alma mater losing to Southern Illinois, and you're just going to be in a foul mood. So I, I still haven't even asked a single person back there what in the hell happened. I haven't done that yet. All I know about Southern Illinois is Walt Frazier. Well, me too. That's all I know. I mean, I, I did read that they were 0-2, and they had lost to Incarnate Word. They yeah. lost to Incarnate Word. Yeah. yeah. And even though they had a team, I knew they had a basketball team. I didn't know they had a football team. That's terrible. That's a terrible, terrible loss. What it's happens to you? Loss. There's, I, there's nothing. There's no disagreeing with that. You go there's into no the Big Ten now, right? You go into the Big Ten season now. No, we've still no? got, we've got, we got, we, I mean, if you lose to a team that lost to Incarnate Word, you're going to lose again. We have, um, you know, we got a, a mid-major coming up. We got uh, Miami of Ohio. Oh. Yeah. So that's Saturday night, and I, I will be in Chicago then. I, I don't even know if you can convince me to go to the game. I really don't. Really? Now, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm there. You're a trustee of the school. Yeah, I, you know, I may not go. You I got... probably won't go. Oh, all right. Let's move off this. Let's move off this. For the second straight week... As I said in the open, the Sunday night game stunk, and the early and the other games were tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Um, I had written down, can we get off Miami and Tua yet? This is when they <laughs> were down 21 points. <laughs> I wrote down Baltimore's pounding them. What That of all of them, look, it's very possible that the Jets was more exciting it's certainly possible, if not probable, that Arizona was more yeah. exciting. Yeah. But Baltimore is a Super Bowl team in our minds, built on defense. How did this happen? And they played, and they were playing great offensively. Yes. Lamar Jackson is going up and down the field. Yes. Like 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 he's just playing a video game. Yes. And Lamar Jackson, at one point, you, Lamar Jackson goes seventy-eight yards for a touchdown, runs it. And before you can even praise him, Miami starts just this crazy coming back. And they just look great doing so. And Tua, on our, Tony, on our text chain, one of my, the primary text chain in my life, with my brother Don on it, at one point I, Don says, tech, just text, Tua's what, Tua's what I thought he'd be. Which was just dismissive, and then Tua like goes for four touchdowns yeah. after that text. Yeah, yeah. I, I went crazy. I was going crazy on my brother the entire rest of the day. I said, "Really? You don't want Tua? How about now? Boom! How about now? Boom! How about now?" <laughs> and so, it, it, but there were multiple games like that. The Cardinals game, unbelievable ending. 
Not just ending how, I mean, how they got there. Yeah, how, uh, how Kyler Murray got there isn't possible. Yes. Yes, it you is. You can't do it. No. No. How about where he, that, the two point conversion, where it turns out they measure how far he runs, and he ran 84 yards in like one area away from defenders, and then in the end zone to convert the two pointer. He ran 84 yards. There were so many plays like that yesterday, Tony. And I, I, is the most exciting one the Cardinals play? The Cardinals play where they, they tie the game? No, they win the game in OT. Yeah, probably. Probably is Cardinals game. What about Joe Flacco coming back from the dead and having getting 15 points for the Jets? What about Robert Sala during the week saying, I'm taking receipts? Yeah. I laughed at him. Yeah, I laughed that you can't win that game. I'm happy they won because I hate Cleveland, but I, you can't win that game either, Mike. No. You can't. You no, can't you win can't. the game. You can't. It was a series of them, a series of those games, of yeah. those outcomes. It's just remarkable. It is. So let me get to. Let me ask you this, because Frank Reich is a friend of yours, yeah. and Frank Reich really looked for all the world. Certainly, a wonderful offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Looked for all the world like a great choice to be the head coach at Indianapolis. Has had three different quarterbacks in three years. Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and and now Matt Ryan. And it's not working out. They got shut out by Jacksonville. Jacksonville, yeah. What do you yeah. make of this? Well, you know, I, I worry about Frank Reich, who I, who I covered at Maryland back yeah. when he was 18 years old. You know, we're talking about we're talking about forty years ago. I covered right. Frank Reich. That's right. One one of the great people I have met in in my life covering sports. One of just the truly nice people. Talk about easy to root for. But you're right, Tony. They stink. And Matt Ryan is done. <laughs> He's done. He's done. Yeah. I mean, I, now I'm Stick not surprised. I'm surprised in, in Indianapolis. No. Which some people have winning the AFC That's and right. going to the Super Bowl. That's right. That's right. People have that. Mm. So I, man, I mean, yes, I watched a lot of that game because in my in my confidence pool, you know, I had Indianapolis somewhere in the middle. I just said, okay, Indianapolis lost week one. They're going to bounce back. They're going to win this game. I know it's in Jacksonville, so what? Do they win the game? And of course, you just you just sit, you're sitting there in front of the TV waiting. For them, and Tony, before the day was out yesterday, they had had a like a team meeting to air, air it out, and what the hell was going on. So they, once you've done that, you, the, the next move is somebody's going to get fired. That's exactly what the next move is. You know, that's exactly, and in <clears throat> in a situation where you say to yourself. Well, we didn't get any points the first week, and we didn't get any points the second week. You fire the offensive coordinator. The bad thing is Frank Reich is the offensive guy. That's right. He's the offensive guy. That's right. And maybe we should give Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson got the bums rush to a degree in Philadelphia. He did. He didn't get along with the owner, and they fired him. It was very surprising when he got canned, but he got canned. He goes to Jacksonville, and Trevor Lawrence now begins to look like somebody who is worth the number one pick. And Jacksonville is one and one. I know they lost to Washington, but maybe Doug Peterson, another offensive guy who was Frank Reich's boss 
at Philadelphia, maybe he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, it certainly looks like it from yesterday. There's just a thrashing. And so many of these outcomes were not only not predictable, they don't even make any sense, except that's what happened. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, if Indianapolis could make a move today, I don't necessarily expect it, but I wouldn't be shocked. I know you wouldn't be either. And then what happens going into next week now? I mean, what do they do between now and Wednesday, literally between now, today, and Wednesday about that situation? And they they have to win or a staff is going to be in jeopardy. I agree with that. I think the same is true at Carolina, but there are no expectations at Carolina. There are expectations at Indianapolis. Plenty. It's really different. Uh, For the second week in a row, Tom Brady, eh, eh. Is it possible that this is the year that he finds out he's old? It, it, that yes. It, yeah, right? It is. You know. I mean, but you know, he, I mean, he still, he made some throws, though. I mean, those, it, it was 3-3. Three, three. Right. And, and you know, they are used to getting their butts whipped, particularly in New Orleans. In New Orleans. That game was by the Saints. That's right. And Brady, throws, Brady makes two throws that you just go, okay, this, this, this is it. This is over. And Winston is just a turnover machine, which is what he's been anyway in his pro life. Yeah. So I don't know where Brady is. I just got to watch that, Tony. I don't want to predict it. I got to just watch it happen. But is it possible that what you just said is going to happen? Yes. I'm not going to predict it, but right. I'm going to I'm going to watch kind of quietly because he does not look great in these two nope. games, even though they've won. He is not. They've, they won one. Yeah. The number one news story out of yesterday. The breaking news story is Trey Lance. He's done. 220 in the first quarter. He goes down, broken ankle, done for the entire year. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, boom, they look good. I was one of those people, as you know, who said they should never retain Jimmy Garoppolo because it's bad for Trey Lance's psyche. Now Trey Lance's psyche is meaningless because he's out. And Trey Lance begins to look a little bit like Jordan Love, like a guy who you know, is not going to play on the team ever, ever, this team. What are your thoughts? That, just what you said, um, it, 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 some of it doesn't make sense. Their dismissal internally of Jimmy Garoppolo just seems crazy considering he got them to a Super, Super Bowl, Bowl and another NFC title game. Yeah. And they just constantly say, get out, we don't want you. You know, Tony, it, it was like Alex Smith. It was like Jim Harbaugh when he was the coach of the 49ers doing that to Alex Smith in favor of Colin Kaepernick. Right. That worked Remember, out. Remember, Alex Smith had played really well as the number one overall draft pick, overall number one. Right. And he just said, yeah, get out, we don't like you. And it seemed like it worked because Kaepernick, did they get to the Super Bowl Yes, with they did. They did. Yeah. They yes. played Baltimore, of course. They did. So this 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 is like that. Um, and I don't know what to make of it. I mean, they they kept them. They got lucky in some ways, or the instinct. Somebody, John Lynch, was saying to himself, you know, hold on. <laughs> Let's not just cash it in and give this kid. So, I mean, I don't know that Trey Lance is ever ready. He lost to the Bears last week. That's right. That's right. I don't know that he's ready for this. You can have the greatest arm in the world. 
you know. It doesn't mean you're a quarterback. I'll just, two, two different things. I'll just say that, you know, close to home, Carson Wentz. Ugh. He can fling it. Ugh. But do you want him? You can him? always sling it. Do you want him? I don't know. No. I don't, I don't want him on my team. I don't want him even near my team. I don't know. All right. I'll talk to you later. Michael Wilbon, boys good. and girls. Uh, we'll take a break. Chuck Culpepper, we got to review the college stuff. We got to review Appalachian State. That's the most amazing play I think I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Ellis Paul, and once again, Michael Granberry writes, on September 12th, he began a tour of Ireland. His U.S. tour begins on the night of October 1st in your neck of the woods, meaning mine, at Jam and Java in Vienna, Virginia, 15 miles from D.C. So I submit to you two of my favorite Ellis Paul songs, The Incomparable Home and Snow in Austin. Speaking of Austin, Ellis says the odometer on his third road vehicle has inched beyond 475,000 miles, which means he had to have passed at least one drive in playing the movies in which his songs appear. They include three by the Farrelly Brothers, Hall Pass, Me, Myself, and Irene, and Shallow Hal, which compelled Peter Farrelly to call Ellis a national treasure. This song is called Snow in Austin. Again, you can listen to it at the end of the show in its entirety, entirety and not have to listen to us. Michael, if people like Ellis Paul or friends of people who have wonderful voices and songs, want to send them in, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Chuck Culpepper joins us now because what happens to college football is it's a Saturday sport. You can talk about the match in all you want on Tuesday nights or Thursday nights. College football is a Saturday sport. And you talk about it like crazy Sunday morning, and then you shut up because the NFL comes on. And as big a deal as college football is, and it's a real big deal, it ain't the NFL because nothing is the NFL. Nothing is the NFL where, as a result of red zone, every single game is accessible. But Chuck covers college football, and, and I think you have to start with this. I don't know if it was luck or design, but ESPN did college game day out of Appalachian State last week. David Pollack was on our show on Friday from Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. Appalachian State, to that point, to the point of playing the other day, had the greatest win in the history of college football at the Big House beating Michigan. And going to Texas A&M, when Texas A&M was ranked fifth, and beating them at Texas A&M is probably in the top five. And neither of them is as amazing to me as the last play of that game. That, Chuck, that play can't happen, right? That just cannot happen. Even among, how do we say it, Hail's Mary? Is yeah. how you would say it? Even among Hail's Mary, that Hail Mary is distinctive because the catch comes at, what, around the five-yard line? Yeah. And, and with a whole wall of defenders and, and teammates in front. And then he weaves around to the to the right and, and into the end zone. So 
It made me think of an old one by Billy White Shoes Johnson, I believe it was. Right. It's very rare that, you know, usually they'll, they'll catch it in the end zone or, you know, or on the way to the end zone, but not like standing behind the group. So not, not typically. There's an old LSU Kentucky one that where Nick Saban coached LSU that is really, really wild where he caught it on about the 15-yard line. But this one's really rare alongside that one. So I'm at the Doug Flutie play when he throws it to Gerard Phelan. Yeah, I'm standing in the end zone at Miami, and I see that happen. And Phelan is one yard in. Right. But the the, the here's here's how it works, kids. The hail mary, by definition, has to get to the end zone. Like maybe not by definition, but in your mind, it has to get to the end zone. That's where you catch it or you don't catch it. I I don't recall anything like this where a guy gets it on the five, and then has to make a couple of moves to get to the edge to get into the end zone. That's App State now, Chuck. they got to have three of the top ten moments in college football history, right? Right, right. And then the, their opener this year, they played North Carolina and lost 63-61 yeah. in a fourth quarter where, where they outscored North Carolina 40-22 to but still lost 63-61. <laughs> so they're having... We also, I mean, I would, I would just like to move to boom for the remainder of the season, I think. Everything about college football worth having, they've got at App State. They've got this. It's, it's remarkable. What, what league are they in? Are they in a league? They're in the Sun Belt, which, is, which has had uh, quite some moments already, because so is Marshall. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, and so, is, uh, so is James Madison, which is new there and, and playing it up at the level, this level for the first time, you know, after doing really well in the FCS. And so, um, yeah, they're, they're having quite some year that league already. So it's, and I think their games when they all play each other are going to be really interesting and worth, worth seeing. So you, you wrote about Miami at Texas A&M and the backdrop was, it was the name image and likeness bowl. These two teams brag about how much money they spend to get people. What do you, what do you make of the, the lack of rules, the new rules, which are, in fact, the lack of rules in college athletics? I suppose I kind of see it as a continuation of 150, 153 years of history, only all out in the open now. Um, that's, I, I suppose I, I just sort of view it that way, and I'm... You know, it's it's I, I it's good to see uh, the players who generate all of this partake in all of this. So so that's the way I look at it. Well, we had an anniversary on Thursday or Friday on PTI, a not so happy anniversary to Reggie Bush, because ten years or fifteen years previously he had given back the Heisman. Nobody would give back anything now, right, Chuck? Nobody. That's right. And back, back in 2005, I went to his parents' house in San Diego, and I was about to, to move out of the country, so I, I didn't follow this story at all. But, but I, I was sitting on the sofa, and they were sitting on the other sofa, and his mom said, the thing I like about having my own house is that I, can, I have my own bathroom, and um, the kids don't bo- I can go in there and get ready for whatever I have to do, and the kids don't bother me in there. And, and I remember thinking, um, I remember thinking, you know, I don't know how, the, of course, that house later became 
the centerpiece sure. of the, sure. you know, of the of the quote scandal unquote. And then I just remember thinking at the time, your son is running around the floor of the Coliseum with ninety thousand people cheering, and you deserve your own house. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's the, so yeah, and and I don't know how much of a push there's going to be that he could ever get that thing back. Um, but it, it's really odd that there's just one person who's had to, you know, relinquish it after winning it. Well, OJ did too, but for different reasons. Oh, good point. Yeah. Good point. But, yeah. but for yeah. vastly different reasons, uh, you right. went to South Carolina to watch Georgia play South Carolina. I was stunned the other day to learn that Oregon was actually ranked when Georgia had beat them by 400 points and Oregon is apparently pretty good, which means that Georgia must be really good. They are better than last year or no? I would say yes. Well, wait, that's tough. Um, That defense last year was so – five guys got picked in the first round round. of the NFL just from that unit. So I would say they're better because the offense understands itself better and has reached that level of communication between – players that's it really looks so very pretty while they're playing and we didn't really associate them with pretty as good as they were in recent years and Oregon's just wipe out of BYU yeah on Saturday in Eugene yeah really means that with Georgia we must be seeing something I think we're I think we're seeing something rare I think it's just every few years where you get one of these teams that's that's this good you know, there have been some Alabama teams like that and some Alabama teams like that that ended up not winning the title. So, But I think the level of football Georgia is playing is really, really compelling. I would, I would assume they will be unanimous number one until they lose, right? Until they it lose. would have to be. Yeah, they, yes. they are yeah. that good. Notre Dame got a much-needed win. Marcus Freeman, a much-needed win. And didn't look all that great at home against an eh. Uh, Cal team, although came up, you know, came up relatively big at the end of the game on defense when they had to. What are your thoughts on that? I thought, I thought the Cal game was actually a bit dangerous for them, I, more dangerous than most people seem to think that it was. And I'm not just saying that because it ended up close. I think Cal is really well coached, and I think that you know it was it was one of those games. You're home, you're expected to win, and you you've got your confidence dented and. I, I, I just think they don't look uh, like they don't look yet like they. We talked. I just talked about Georgia having a clear idea of what it is and yeah. what it's doing on offense. They don't look yet like that. Like they're they're quite clear on offense. Like they they know what they're you know they got their communication down. They know what their capabilities are and what their weapons are. So I think that offense is looks like it's could be struggling for a while. I'll get to three huge name schools. What's that? All right, Michael will have to go upstairs and figure what that is. Um, three big name schools, Alabama, Michigan, LSU. LSU has a loss. Alabama and Michigan do not at this point. Do you trust all three? Do you trust one? Do you trust two? I trust two, at least. I trust Alabama very much. I think that's even though the, the, I was at the Texas game and it was, you know, they had a lot of trouble, they pulled it out. I just think 
what they showed. I was blown away by their opener against Utah State because I think that's a really good program. Yeah. Won 11 games last year. Um, the numbers in that thing were just incredible. And then I trust Michigan because I think something has happened there that is, you know, where I think a lot of it is when overlooked is when they went to beat Penn State at Penn State last year. Penn State wasn't great, but they pulled it out late. And one of the troubles with Michigan during Harbaugh's years had been they just couldn't make a play. It seemed like they would never make a play. And they finally made a play, a 47-yard touchdown pass to Eric All, the tight end. And I just think in the strange way these things happen in sports sometimes, just these little moments can can kind of set in motion. Soon they were manhandling Ohio State. Yes. And then Iowa. And then they got manhandled by Georgia in the playoff. But I think they've reached some point there that they had not reached in the earlier Harbaugh years. And I think I think they're really formidable. Okay. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. It's an entirely different topic. You have watched tennis and covered tennis in your life. Roger Federer has announced it's over for Roger Federer. It's been over for a few years, but it's official that it's over. What are your thoughts on Roger Federer? I think he, he reached into people, people's souls or whatever you'd call it, and dragged out something that maybe people didn't even realize that they could feel. And I think it went beyond the wins, which there were tons of those. And I think it went beyond the sportsmanship, which he would win that award every year that the players vote. 13 out of 14 years he won it. Wow. And it went beyond the ambassadorship, where he would, for instance, do press conferences in three languages for two decades, you know. English, and then they'd go to the Swiss, German, and then they'd go to the French. I think it was something about beauty, I actually think. It was so beautiful, so geometrically beautiful, that I think it grabbed people inside in a way that was unprecedented and that they almost couldn't control. And I think it, it engendered in his fans, you know, a devotion that I've rarely seen. And I think when I think of him, I'll think of just the absolute beauty of it. I remember the, the French player Fabrice Santoro saying, you know, I played a long time. He was 36 when he said this, Santoro, and he said, I just never thought I would see tennis played in that manner. And I think that's what it was. I think you can make a case any of those big three are the greatest of all time, and when you make the case for Federer, you have to include how deeply beautiful it was. Thank you so much, Chuck. Thank you. Chuck Thank Culpepper, you so much, boys Tony. and girls. Thank you. Uh, we'll take a break. Email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show here comes tony's bed Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. 
lovely. That is from the 2022 Jingle Fest, just recently concluded. That's everybody singing. Thank you very much. Najee, want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com. Yeah, got the sandwiches there. It's always a great day. Uh, go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, Michael, not my son, Michael, but another <laughs> Michael, I have great affection for you and you live a very rich and interesting life, but you are a bag man, not an attorney. That is Michael Clayton. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Thank you to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Chuck Culpepper. Thank you to today's sponsors, Trade Coffee, Solo Stove, and Freshly. I've had them all, except Solo Stove. I'm begging for a Solo Stove. And remember (laughs) that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. Let's do some um, emails here. From Andy Shaner, who's in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. He used to be in another area of Wisconsin, not Sun Prairie. Yes, I forget where it was. Was it Madison? I don't think it was Madison. In any case, he writes... Dear Dr. Toby, you can take your Tillamook, Graters, and Baskin-Robbins and throw them in the dumpster for the raccoons. The best ice cream comes from Wisconsin, America's Dairyland, the land of cows and cheese. We've got Cedarcrest, Sheps, and Chocolate Shop, which are all excellent. But the absolute winner is Babcock Hall, made on-site at the Dairy Sciences Building of the University of Wisconsin. That's not fair, because that, when, when I was at Cornell a long time ago... When I had a child at Cornell, and you would go to the Cornell Dairy. It's the greatest ice cream in the world. And we got ice cream sent to us, I believe, from South Dakota State University. Yes. It was the greatest ice cream. They're making it right there. Yeah. The students are making it, with, right, Michael, with the greatest flavors in the world. Yeah. It's just great. Wherever you get your ice cream. my degree in ice cream. <laughs> wherever you get your ice cream, look for the designation super premium, which refers to the overrun ratio of air to cream. Standard overrun is 100%, or one part air to one part cream. Super premium must be less than 50%, or at least two parts cream to one part air. Super premium ice cream must also contain at least 14% butter fat. A lot of grocery store brands labeled as frozen dairy desserts are actually less than 10% butter fat. Ask Buster Olney, and he'll tell you, it's all about the cows, baby. (laughs) From David Johansson in San Francisco which he signs the city, not Frisco or San Fran. <laughs> I went up to the Oracle Park ticket window this morning for two tickets to a game against the Dodgers. My son wants to see who he argues will be the World Series winners. I jokingly said to the clerk, La Cheeserie. He looked at me, grinned, and said, you listen to Tony Kornheiser? And I said, sure do. The clerk replied, great guy, funny show, paused, and then said, I got two pretty good seats down the third baseline left, 26 each. Buy them? I faux wine. No free admission. The clerk grinned again. I love his show, but I like my job even better. <laughs> P.S. A Whopper meal in downtown on Powell, that's Powell Street in San Francisco, is $11.99 plus 8.63% sales tax in a city with a $16.32 hourly minimum wage and health care for all workers, including those at fast food joints. you got multi-hosed in D.C. Uh, Carl in Oswego, New York, who went to La Cheeserie Night, night. Yes. said, I forgot to share this picture from La Cheeserie Night, the scoreboard complete with the chatter ad. It's true. <laughs> As you can see, I stayed for the full game. Many in little sections left early and said that's what Tony would do. And he sends it, and the Chatter logo is actually right there. Yeah, just unbelievable. Like the, the sign, yeah. Joshua Mason, Arlington, Virginia. First time, long time. Or actually, just says first long. Could be first and long. First and 15. <laughs> and as a former resident of the Willamette Valley, I've made the trip to the Tillamook Creamery, and it's fine. My favorite part, however, is not the destination, but the journey. On your way to the Creamery, you'll pass through the town of Tillamook on US 101. Just before you get to the town, you'll pass by Tillamook High School, and on the bleachers to their football stadium, you will see, or at least did a few years ago, on the back side 
of the bleachers, Tillamook High School, home of the fighting cheesemakers. I cannot imagine how often they use cheese puns during games, but it's, I'm sure, at least until they are blue, B-L-E-U, in the face. I need a shirt from them. What I'm hoping for is a cheesy mascot. From Jim Berry in Woodbine, Maryland. I suspect there may actually be a very natural relationship between Tillamook Dairy Products and Tillamook Beef Jerky. The farmer calls in a cow for a performance review. He says, I think we both know you haven't been making a milk quota for some time now. We're sliding you over to the jerky barn. Now, if there's anything I can do for you, and of course the cow says, well, I certainly hope you'll die soon. From Pat Dealey, allow me to give you details so when you speak to Mr. Buyer, you can impress him with your knowledge. Flightline, that horse that we're talking about, that George Malay. Right. Alerted us to. Flightline was purchased as a million-dollar yearling and was training to be on the derby trail. However, an injury sidelined him, and the Connections thought it best to go slow with their million-dollar baby. He ran only three races his three-year-old year, ending with a trouncing in the grade one Malibu. He then opened his sophomore season as a four-year-old in the stallion-making Metropolitan Mile at Belmont and smoked a top three horse in Life is Good. Before the Pacific Classic, he hadn't won a race by less than nine lengths. He may be fragile. But he is a beast. Oof. From Jeremiah in, Genev- in Geneva, New York. Geneva, New York, I think is where Hobart College is. I think. Back left, nothing. Back right, nothing. Front left, nothing. Front right, nothing. That's it. That's the list. Um, okay, one more. From Jordan Chance in Norwalk, Connecticut. Until recently from Lindenhurst, New Ho- York. Hobart in Geneva. Yeah. Got, Long Island, that. Lindenhurst. I write to you today with a concern of the utmost importance, and I'm sure you will agree. Until a recent move to Connecticut, I had spent my entire life living on Long Island. Having made a career in politics and government, I still make it a habit to read Newsday whenever possible to stay in the loop of Long Island happening. So imagine my surprise when I see some dope assemblyman from Suffolk County, Michael Fitzpatrick, is proposing a University of New York to compete for national prestige with well-known universities such as University of Michigan, University of Virginia, etc., Which school does he think should fit this billing? It's not my alma mater, SUNY Albany. It's not your alma mater, Harper College, now SUNY Binghamton. No, it's that third-rate trash heap they somehow continue to call a school Stony Brook. Yes, because the only thing holding back Stony Brook from competing with the big boys was the name. The University of New York Seawolves, for God's sakes, what are we even doing out here, man? I appreciate that so much. And I would point out uh, to people, there is a University of New York. It's called New York University. NYU, the Violets, New York University. So get off Stony Brook. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. Not very good. Not the worst. Um, But there was some worse than us. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. We weren't the worst team in the league. That first night I remember 
frost on the windows I'd been sleeping in a snow globe town Six inches on the ground And you said I'd never see a white Christmas Snow angels never make it to Texas But you're wrong You're singing Hank Williams songs If snow can fall in Austin Christmas. 